Well, this morning we're going to, as we look at the scriptures and hear what God has to say to us, it's coming actually from Luke chapter 12. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. And this week is actually taking Luke chapter 12, 4 through 7, the same verses, and I'm going to plant myself there and flesh out a little bit more what it means and it is talking about the fear of God as opposed to the fear of man. Because I think there's a lot there. There's tons there. So I'm not going to get into the text of Luke 12 and go through it like I did last time because we already did that. But what I'm going to do is do more like a topical sermon on this subject of the fear of God versus the fear of man. And in doing so, I want us to realize something. This is probably one of the most important things we could ever understand as Christians for our Christian life. As we get into this, as we look and try to understand what the fear of man is all about, what the fear of God is all about, and how it is that we grow and and, and deepen ourselves in the fear of God, I really truly believe that if we we get this and we devote ourselves to this, it, it will make a significant impact in our lives. Because I know that so many of you sitting here this morning are not living lives filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Yet so many of you here desire to. You say, Dean, I would love, I would love my life to be overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Right? Wouldn't we all love our lives to think of it? Who doesn't want a life filled with and overflowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Sign me up. That, is, that encapsulates a soul overflowing. That's, that's love. That, that's fulfillment. That... That's life at its fullest right there. So if that's what you want, and you want to know how to live in that space, then you need to pay attention this morning. Because one of the things we have to understand is that when we are controlled by the fear of man, we live miserable lives. And I know what it's like to be controlled by the fear of man, and I know what it's like to be controlled by the fear of God. And I'm hopefully in your life, you've experienced both as well. And you're not just always constantly and continually living in the fear of man. Because I know that you're not, I know there's no one here who's ever and constantly living in the fear of God. I know that's not true. But I know there can be people who live constantly and continually under the fear of man. And when we're being controlled by the fear of man, we, we fear being judged. We fear not being liked, being rejected, being laughed out, being laughed at, saying a joke and having nobody laugh, being criticized, being weird, being misunderstood, and on and on it goes, right? These fears, what do they do? When we fear this, what happens? They make, it makes us awkward. It makes us self-conscious. It makes us insecure. It makes us sheepish, and it shrivels up our souls. It can also make us goofy. It can make us harsh. It can make us brash. It can make us say and do things that are outright stupid. 
And you go home, everyone home, and I say, I can't believe how much I talked. I didn't even listen to anybody. I was like, rah, 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 rah. I can't believe, I can't believe you fill in the blank. Because all of us have a tendency, when we fear man, and we're in a fearful situation, we try to protect ourselves. And whatever we do, we end up being goofy. We become people pleasers, or we become bossy. We become defensive, or we become mean. We become critical, or we become needy. We become selfish, or we become dramatic. Whatever, we become something weird. Something that we don't even like. Each of us will respond in a way that we believe and we think will cover up and protect and defend us from these fears. So this morning we're going to look at what the fear of man does to us, what the fear of God does to us, and how it is we can walk daily in the fear of God. So the first thing we need to understand is this. That the fear of man or of circumstances, there's another way of thinking of it, 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 when it seizes us, it seizes us in a sea of self-doubt and insecurity and shrivels up our souls. Proverbs 29.25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You know, I don't think it could be said any better than that. Because when it says that the fear of man lays a snare, it's talking about a trap. And a trap that can be hidden along the path that you normally go. I don't know if anybody here, there's not, probably not many trappers here. We're not up in northern Canada. But if you're a trapper, you understand how to lay a snare. And you know what you do when you lay a snare? You find these paths where the, the animals that you're trying to snare, they go along. And you know this is their path. They've worn a path, and you know this is where they go. And what you do when you lay a snare is you don't try to lay a snare so that they can see it and avoid it. You lay a snare so that they'll walk right into it, unbeknownst to them, la di da di da shoof, hanging by their ankles. Then they're freaking out, and then the trapper comes up to it and usually kills it. That's what a snare is like. And here, Solomon says, the fear of man lays a snare, a snare for your soul. And this is precisely what the fear of man does. We're walking along our normal path of life, and then, imperceptibly, it snares you and holds you in bondage, dangling by your ankles, completely under the control of your trapper, the devil. You know, when I do something out of a fear of man, I find myself incredibly insecure, lacking confidence, and being controlled by something that I can tell is wrong in my soul. I know it's wrong. I know something desperately wrong is happening. And because I know in my soul that it's wrong, it also leads to shame. And it leads to disgust of myself. And the further lack of confidence and down the spiral you go, it's laid a snare for me. And it's snared me and it's got me. And then you start to hate the situation you're in and you try to figure out all kinds of ways of getting out. How do I get out? And if you ever watch an animal snared, it freaks out trying to get out to no avail. How do I get out? 
It has a strange power, a strange power, and a tremendous control over your life. This is what happened when Saul, controlled by the fear of man, offered to sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. It's also what happened when he preserved the sheep and the king instead of destroying them as he's he's supposed to. Saul himself confessed to this being the case in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He said, I feared the people. And look where it led him. Not only was he snared and caught in his snare, but he was suffered serious and harmful consequences as a, <clears throat> as a result. Just think about how many circumstances and situations you find yourself in where your actions are controlled by what others might think, say, or do. Can you think of conversations you don't have or things you don't do that you know that they would be good to do, but you don't do them? You don't walk into situations, and why don't you? Because you fear. You fear their response. You fear what others might say. You fear what they might think. You fear what they might do. Have you, do you have these scenarios? Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. And if you have them and you can see how you respond to them, you can pinpoint how the fear of man is controlling you and ensnares you makes you feel insecure, and begins to make you feel self-loathing. And how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it when you face these situations? I would bet that you have learned to fear less and less over time, and here's how you do it. It's not because you're growing in grace, but because you're getting better and better at avoiding those situations that bring you fear. You have a fear of social situations. You don't grow in grace and get better at it. You just don't show up anymore. Why? Why don't you show up? It feels much better to stay home and watch TV. I go to that social situation, what happens? I don't know what to say. I make a fool of myself. I'm not going to go there anymore. Is that not how we often deal with it, right? So along our lives, we find, yeah, life is great. I don't fear man anymore. Yeah, because you never go anywhere or do anything that you ought to do just so you can protect yourself and no longer fear. Isn't that a wonderful strategy? You don't do what you ought to do because you're controlled by fear. So, for example, you know you should talk to your spouse about his or her spending habits. Are you going to? No, I've just learned how to navigate life and make marriage just fine. You just don't talk about those things. Or how about a co-worker who's always taking the projects and getting ahead of you and always putting you in a situation where you take the worst projects? And you know you need to talk to him about, about this, but are you going to? No, you kidding? That person will go off on me. At least that's what we imagine. So we never do. And we don't do this because of how we fear others, what f- others might say, think, or do to us. Or we're afraid of looking like an idiot. We're afraid. Plain and simple, we're afraid. Why don't we call it what it is? We fear man. And if we want to really learn, maybe it's because we say, I'm fearful of the situation because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach. Great! Then learn. Great! 
Go talk to somebody who's really good at it. Great, go grab a book and learn. Great, go study. Go seek it out. Gain some wisdom. Gain some understanding. Gain some knowledge. Pursue it. Go after it and learn it. That's how you grow. That's how you can walk into your fears eventually and then and begin to overcome them. And we're going to see that as not just that, but there's something really important, more fundamental than that, that you have to do. We have to get to the place where we truly get what's going on and we can confess like one lady did here in this quote. It says, I couldn't bring myself to dance in public for fear, not just public anywhere. I think she means dancing where dancing is happening. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. For fear that people would point and laugh. At work, I was unable to voice my opinions for fear they'd be thought stupid. And at my lowest point, even walking down the street became a struggle. As my mind ran wild with images of people talking about and laughing at me as I went by. I lived a half-life. I knew I was missing out. I also knew I had so much more to contribute to this world. But I was paralyzed by the fear that if I put myself out there, I'd be ridiculed and rejected. And so the real me remained cocooned somewhere inside. I knew she was there. I knew who she was. But fear kept her trapped. The fear of man seizes us in a sea of self-doubt and insecurity. As Proverbs says, it's a snare. And if you've lived, you know that is true. But on the other hand, the opposite side, the fear of God, we need to contrast and see the difference. And what we'll see is that the fear of God is where life, security, and freedom are found. Listen to some of these passages of Scripture which describe the blessings, the blessings that come from fearing God. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Now, how is it that this exact opposite of what Proverbs 29.25 says? It's quite amazing to think about. What does the fear of man lead to? A snare that ensnares our soul. But the fear of God leads to life and satisfaction. This tells us something about how we are created by our God. Because when something operates according to its design, it's glorious. But when it doesn't, it's wretchedly awful. How well does it go for a teacup when it's used as a hammer? How well does it go for a hammer when it's used as a teacup? It's like these things don't function. But when they're used according to their design, they function really well. It's glorious. This tells us something about the design of things. Your life is found in the fear of God. Another passage of scripture about the glories of the fear of God comes from God's word. This is God speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy 5.29. And he says this, Oh, that they, the people of Israel, had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep my commands, that it might go well with them 
and with their descendants forever. This is what happened after God spoke on Mount Sinai, like peeling, raucous thunder. The mountain was covered with smoke and fire, and the earth trembled. Now, if you were there and God spoke in that scenario, you'd be like the people, terrified. And God is responding to Moses, and he sees their response. He sees their heart toward him. He sees that they fear him. They fear his word. And he says, oh, that they would be like this always. Because I just love to see them in terror. No. That it would go well with them. This is, this is actually a very good thing because what would proceed from this state are very good responses to what happens in life. A greater fear of God than a fear of man. A greater fear of God than a fear of circumstances. God is feared above all at this situation, but it wasn't but 10 minutes, and they go back to fearing God, fearing circumstances. And God says, oh, that they would always be like this because it would go well with them. Then there's Malachi 2.5 where God is speaking to the prophet about his priests the tribe of Levi, and he says this, My covenant with him, with Levi, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So the same covenant of peace was also described as a covenant of fear. Do you see that? It's a covenant of peace. It's a covenant of fear. Wow, interesting. We often don't put peace and fear together. But he says this is where, because when you fear God, the peace of God comes. Which is, it's, it's, it seems to like almost go against everything we think about fear. But they can only come together when it's the fear of God and the fear of God alone. And he says this is what it was. It was a covenant of peace and a covenant of fear. Wow. Because with the fear of God is life. Then there's Proverbs 22.4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, don't get me wrong. This is no get-rich-quick scheme. Fear God, and what do you get? Oh, man, you get riches, honor, and life. There it is, the get-rich-quick scheme right there. If I had the time, I can get into the context of this and show you how that's not how we should understand it. That's not the point here. More to it, but one thing we can take right off the surface of this is that the fear of God brings with it what? Incredible blessing. Incredible blessing. And I love even the last word, life. It brings life. It brings life to your soul. It's, it, it is the thing that you, you want. You want the fear of God in your life. You, you don't want the absence of the fear of God. You want it, and you want it to grow. You want it to develop in your life. Here's Psalm 147, verse 11, which takes us in a slightly different direction. It says, the Lord takes pleasure. He takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, now notice something here. This is a person who fears him, and what else do they do? They take pleasure in his steadfast love. Now, again, that's not, those aren't things we often put together. Fearing God and taking pleasure in his steadfast love. Because this, they come together. We think it's almost like paradoxical. You grow in your fear of God. You tremble at his word. You on, you're in awe of him and his glory and his power. And, and the more that grows in you, 
the more you also at the same time delight in his steadfast love, his goodness. Pretty remarkable. Think about this. All that comes as a result of these passages we looked at. What comes as a result of fearing God? Life, goodness, blessing. That's what comes. And here's the thing. We have to understand the two, the two sides of this. The fear of God, the fear of Him, and then the love of Him, the loving of His, of his goodness. These things, it's almost like they're two sides of the same coin. Because on the one hand, when you fear God, what are you fearing? You're fearing His displeasure. You're fearing his wrath, his judgment. You fear his frown. You fear him. You're like a child who fears his father on the one hand because you don't want the father's spanking. He doesn't want the father's displeasure. He doesn't want his father's, his father's anger. He doesn't want his father's discipline. But I'll tell you what, he also on the same hand, he wants his father's hugs. He wants his father's blessing. He wants his father's smile. He wants his father's goodness, Right? Any child who has a really healthy relationship with his father, on the one hand, he fears the, the negative side. He doesn't want to go there. He, that, he fears doing something. He says, man, I don't want to do that. You don't know my father. My father will discipline me. On the other hand, he takes delight in his father's blessing, his father's goodness. This is what it's like. This is how we have to understand what happens in the fear of God. It's not a fear that just seizes you with terror. Like, oh no, run for the hills. It's a fear of his displeasure. It's a fear of his anger. It's a fear of not falling under his, his goodness and grace. It's a fear of being in that position like thinking, could you imagine being outside of his family? Could you imagine being away from his goodness? Could you imagine... Being away from that, I tell you, this is what, if you're a Christian, you have thoughts of that, the thought of being outside of God's kingdom, outside of his house, outside of his family, and that's just terrifying to you. And that's why you don't understand, sometimes you try to tell somebody about, about the gospel and what happens to those who are outside of God's grace, outside of his favor. You know, you don't understand, it's, it's really bad. And it's not good at all. And you'd suffer for eternity outside of his goodness, outside of his pleasure, under his frown, under his wrath and judgment. And to a Christian, it's like, that would be the worst ever. These even run that thought through your mind and it causes you to tremble, right? On the other hand, you just think it's the most amazing thing how he's loved you, how he gave his son for you and what he's done for you and what he gives you every day and how he cares for you, how he protects you and how he defends you. That's, that's what they're talking about here. Being there in that space is glorious. And if you see a non-Christian who could care less, you tell them that and they're like, whatever. You see someone who there's no fear of God before them. Now, this brings us to a place where we, I think, the most important question we can ask is this. How is it that we grow in the fear of God? How do we do that? How do we get to that place where the fear of God, as we've read here, captures us, and the fear of man fades away? And I get to the place where I do not fear man, I fear God, and I live in the fear of God. Well, this is, where the, constant, this is the constant task of all those who fear God. If you recall... I talked last week about what would happen if every morning you woke up 
And the first thing you did was set your mind on the truth of who God is. Just filled your heart and your mind with that. And I gave you some examples of how you could do that. In fact, all, most of you, probably all of you, received the email where I, I gave you the, a more extensive list of just truths about who God is and who you are in relationship to him that you could go over. Now, I want to tell you something that I can guarantee you, if you did that, if you do that, that will make a massive difference in your life. And I want to take this whole idea a little further, a little deeper, and explain why this is the case. One of Paul's major thrusts throughout his letters is to present the truth of the gospel. Who Christ is, what he's done for us. And then to present and to press his hearers to set their minds on this truth. To set their minds, to think about these things. Let's just walk through some of his, these passages, for example. I'm not going to put them up because I'm just going to quickly go through and summarize them. In Romans, Romans, after he's made, in after Romans 8, after he's made this extensive argument about the gospel and what it is, he says this in Romans 8, 5, He who walks in the Spirit sets his mind on the things of the Spirit. He who walks in the flesh sets his mind on the things of the flesh. And then in Romans 12, shortly afterwards, 12, 2, he says that they're to be no longer conformed to this world, but be trans- that we are no longer to be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he takes the opposite direction. He says that we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Colossians 3, at the end of the book, after he's presented the gospel, he exhorts his, us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated not on the things of this world. Philippians 4, which was read for us this morning, he says that we are to set our minds on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, or whatever is praiseworthy. And then in Ephesians 6, he tells us at the end of that, cha- that book that we're put on the whole armor of God, which is, if I had time and I could show you, is only done through the thoughts and imaginations and beliefs of our minds. You put it on by thinking, imagining, and believing what is true about you in Christ. Paul exhorts and stresses the importance of this because it is central, central to our, to your spiritual well-being. Central to your fearing God. You want to grow in the fear of God, you've really got to understand this and learn this. James Allen, in his book, As a Man Thinketh, said this, Man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. But whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth fruit. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. Just as a gardener cultivates his plot, keeping it free from weeds and growing the flowers and fruits which he requires, so may a man tend the garden of his mind, weeding out all the wrong, useless, and impure thoughts and cultivating toward perfection the flowers and fruits of right, useful, and pure thoughts. Now, why is this true? Because God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. You sow Apple seeds, do not think for a moment you will ever get a pear tree. It's not going to happen. 
You sow seeds in your thought that are not according to truth, they're not according to goodness, they're not according to God's word. You will produce fruit that has nothing to do with the Spirit. What did Paul say? Set your mind on the things of the Spirit and you will walk in the Spirit. You set your mind on the things of the flesh and you will walk according to the flesh. And this is how it works. So, we can, we, I can ask you this, like I did at the beginning. Do you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Do you want that in your life, flowing up out of your life, over to those around you? It, yeah, you say, sign me up. Absolutely I do. I do. Then this is what has to happen. You have to fill your mind with the truth of who God is, who you are in Christ, and how the world functions and works. This means thinking about and saying and filling your mind with truths like this. You have, and, and, and here's another thing. Make it personal. Don't think about God in the abstract. Don't think about him up so there and read his promises or read his word out there. Make it personal. And this is what I mean by that. If you say, like, you need to declare and think about and state things like, my God is always with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And why can you say that? Because that's the truth. That's what Jesus has said. So say it like that. He will never, he will not leave me. He will not forsake me. So what can man do to me? That's what scripture asks. I am in Christ, I have his spirit within me, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you say that, and do you declare that, and you make it personal, or is that just Paul talking? Is it out here? If it's out here, it's just Paul talking, and you can go on. You, you, you need to stop and realize that, no, that's the truth about you as well. Everything, say this too, everything that happens to me in my life is for my good because my heavenly Father is working it out for my good. Now that's taking Romans 8, 28, and it's applying, it's making it personal. It's true, it's a declared statement, it's truth. Now that's how you have to say it, think about it, dwell on it, and believe it. You've got to fill your mind with that truth. How often do you do this? Dwell on, think on, imagine this. I am loved, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, and I'm secured by my Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. Do you think that make, makes a difference in our lives? You better believe it. Paul, set your mind on these things. These are the things of the Spirit. And you will walk according to the Spirit. You'll have the fruit of the Spirit. But here's something else I have to do it. On the other hand, that's the positive side. That's, what you, that's the engagement. That's what you really need to do. You need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit and, and actively, actively and continually be thinking and dwelling and meditating on these things. But at the same time, you have to be able to recognize the lies that come into your mind. And you have to be able to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to recognize that thoughts come in to your head about yourself, about your God, and about your world that are just plainly not true, or they're absolutely useless thoughts. They're not according to truth, and you have to get rid of them. 
You have to do battle with them. But this is often where we lack discernment. Because it doesn't have to be outright evil before it's of the flesh, before it's no good, before it's unlovely, before it's impure. And that's the problem. Sometimes we have all these thoughts thinking about things. We can watch the news, and the news can give us perspective about the world and about God and about ourselves in it. That's not true. It's not true. They can cause you to fear. They can cause you to panic. They can cause you to worry. They can cause you to think that Jesus is not on his throne. And it seems innocuous. It just seems like neutral. It doesn't seem evil. They're not telling you, oh, here's a lie. You know. But it's, it's not true. We need discernment. You can even have thoughts about you being fat or ugly or your nose being too large or you being timid, or, or not liking the weather, or about shortcomings of other people, or about your problems at work, or about the things that annoy you about your spouse, the things that they do that you don't like, or a host of other unfruitful, ungodly, unholy thoughts. They're, they're just useless. They're, they're not, it's not according to the truth. And then you say, well, I know it's true. Okay, it's true that perhaps these features you don't like about yourself is true, but you're being self-consumed. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And there you are staring at the mirror, beating yourself up about how you look being self-consumed. And as soon as you become self-consumed, you go out into the world and you fear man and you think that everybody's looking at you and seeing the same things. And there's, your conscience didn't bother you about this. You think it's, these are totally fine thoughts. And why are they totally fine? Well, I'm not thinking about um, lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, or anything like that. I'm just, these, are, these are just random thoughts. No, they're, they're earthly thoughts. They're ungodly thoughts. They're, they're just, they, they will take you and, and cause you to fear man is what they'll do. You, you're going to get into your navel. You're going to get into yourself, and you're going to turn into a golem. That's what will happen. And you will find that you walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. And you're wondering why you're struggling. You think, man, I sure wish I could walk more according to the spirit. Lord, please help me. Please, Lord, please make me walk more according to the spirit. I just want more of the fullness of the spirit. Please, more of the full spirit. And I go back and start thinking about myself. Man, I wish I was, I was just, if I had more money, if, I, if things just go better in my circumstances, and you know, if this situation would just work out. And, man, if I wasn't so ugly. But, yeah. Thanks, Mike. See, that's all I needed. <laughs> that, that will do nothing but cause you actually to walk in the flesh, and you don't even understand why you're walking in the flesh. Why you're not experiencing. Why is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control not coming out of your life? Hello? You're setting your mind on the things of this earth, the things of the world. You're not setting your mind on things above, according to what is true of you in Christ Jesus. Who are you in Christ Jesus? I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I have an eternal inheritance. I mean, you start ruminating on that truth, delighting in that truth. Wash that over your mind. Live there. And all of a sudden, wow. Look at Dean. He's much more cheerful, joyful, loving. He's more peaceful. He's just, he seems more confident for some reason. Why is this, his life different? 
because he's set his mind in a different direction. I'm convinced that so many people are trapped in immaturity and go around and never grow, never develop because they're stuck in these fleshly, earthly thoughts. Always praying to God to change them. Oh God, I just wish you'd make me different. Oh God, please, I just... That's most of their prayers, is they want to be changed, they want to be different, they want the fruit of the Spirit, and they go on thinking their same stupid thoughts all the time. Paul says, hello, those who walk according to the Spirit, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The truth of God's Word, the truth about who they are in Christ, the truth about God Himself, that's where they live, and you watch the fruit come out of their life. You know, you have, to, you have to become like a prize fighter. You have to see your life as a battle. You're scrapping it out. There's no neutrality. You lower your hands, boof, 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 you're going to get killed. Okay? There's just no... You, there's not like you can't be outside the fight. Drop your hands, disengage, you'll get beat up. That's all I can tell you. You better learn to raise your hands, and you better learn to block, duck, you better learn to hold the defense of realize that thoughts are going to come in and you've got to learn how to, how to defend. Not only that, you've got to learn how to throw a mean jab, right? You've got to learn how to throw a hook and a bad uppercut. And if you can do that, you understand this is how you live your life and this is what your thought life is like. You have got to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You've got to learn to say, no, that's a lie. What am I thinking? That's just wrong. This is a useless thought. This is a... It's just nothing but an earthly thought. That, that, that thought is just, I've got to stop that. And you, you've got to be able to do that on the one hand. The other hand, not just stop it, you've got to start the right things. You've got to think the right things. You've got to be able to like, throw a good jab, an uppercut, and say, no. The truth is, here's the truth. Jesus has forgiven me. He loves me. I'm accepted by him. I'm a child of God. That's just true. He'll never leave me nor nor forsake me. My God goes before me. My God is with me. My God surrounds me. There's nothing man can do to me. And that's got to fill your heart and your mind. And you get it to the point so much so that you live it, you walk it, you believe it. It's, it's, and all, this fruit starts coming out of your life. Next thing you know, you know who God is. My God is awesome. He's glorious. He, he rules heaven and earth. He, he is over all things, and all things happen according to his will. He is my God. That's the God I serve. You start becoming like Joshua. He says, that's the God I serve. I know my God. I know who he is. This is what he's like. And because of who he is and what he's like, you walk confidently through life because he's with me. And then all of a sudden, you, you fear God. You delight in God. And you love God. And, and man just shrinks. And your fear of man? Man, I haven't thought about it, but I don't fear. I haven't feared man in a long time since I've been setting my mind on things above. Setting my mind on the truth of who God is, who I am in Christ, how this world works under his sovereign care. I set my mind there and it's began to transform my life. You know, every single one of us here this morning has an opportunity right now to change the trajectory of your life forever. You could become a person who fears God delights in God, and the fruit of the Spirit comes out of your life, but you have to do something. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. What are you sowing? That's the question. 
Are you manifesting the fruit of the Spirit and and walking in the fear of God? Or are you manifesting the fruit of the flesh, walking in the fear of man? You have to ask yourself sincerely that question. Then from that question, make the changes that you need to make. And it begins with, right here, things you're thinking, things you're believing, and things you're filling your mind with. And so I want to challenge you all this morning. I want to challenge you like I challenged you last week. Last week I challenged you to just please. You wake up in the morning and, and if you would, you, you would listen and you would actually take heed and you would go and you would, you would go through these promises of who God is and who you are in him and, what, and who you are because of him. I challenge you. You do that and then you tell me how your week was. And I, re- I, re- I really want to hear from you. If any of you, I know maybe there's even just one of you who took me up on the challenge. Hopefully there was more. Tell me about it, and how, tell me how it affected your week, how it affected your life. I'd love to hear about it, because I can guarantee that if you do set your mind there, it'll change things. Now, hear this. This is what I want to challenge you this week to. To wake up as early as you need to to get at least 30 minutes alone. Don't just wake up, hit the alarm, get dressed, and bomb out to work. You will not be preparing yourself for any kind of effectiveness in your thought life. Probably think the first thing you run into is traffic and then you'll be cussing out your fellow man and it'll all go downhill from there. You really need to take the time and understand the importance. And I challenge you this. 30 minutes is just 30 minutes. At least 30 minutes. If you can do, do more, do more. If you normally get up at 7, set your alarm for 6.30 and say this is far too important. This is far too, this is way more important, let me tell you, way more important than 30 minutes of sleep. And if you think 30 minutes of sleep is more important than this, then wow. Woo, we have a whole new problem. That's a, de- that's a deception that's at a whole new level. Forget the 30 minutes of sleep. You need to do this. I challenge you, get up and you get with the word of God. You get before God, and you begin to make the truth personal. You meet with God, and you set your mind on what is true about God, about yourself, and about, and about the world. And don't just grab the word and, like a checklist, read your chapter and be gone. No. Make the truth personal. Bring it in. Meditate on it. Think about it. I would love it, like, just even if you took verses, a verse, and that day you spent the day memorizing it mulling it, thinking of it, rolling it over in your mind, and just think about its implications and applications and what that means for you, and just begin to fix your mind on it. But at the very least, start off setting your mind in this direction, and then seek the Lord when you're done. Seek Him to, and, and ask Him to go before you and behind you and to, give, and to allow your thoughts to continue in this direction and to protect you and defend you from the evil one. As you walk into the world and you walk into your home or you walk into wherever it is you're going and you start getting some blows. Boof, boof, boof. Life starts hitting you. Things start happening. Circumstances start coming. And how are you interpreting those things? Please, I challenge you, do this and your life will be different. We need to heed. Listen to the words of how Solomon put this. Totally different uh, way of expressing it, but it's the same truth. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, 
Treasure them up. You see, receive them and treasure them up within you. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart toward understanding. Yes, if you call out, cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Oh Lord, please, oh give me wisdom or I die kind of thing is what he's saying. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, you know what he says? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Bam. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. And when you understand the fear of the Lord, what happens, folks? Well, there is life, goodness, and blessing right there for you. What are you going to do? That's really all that's left. What are you going to do? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your wonderful, amazing word, your truth. You, you Lord Jesus, you know that you... This is what we all need. And I beg of you, I pray for every person here this morning that they would truly take their thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and would fill their hearts and their minds with the truth of who you are, who they are in Christ Jesus and how this world works. And I pray that that would fill their hearts and their minds, that you, O Lord, would put in them a hunger and a passion and desire to go after the fullness of life in Christ, to go after this, and they would fill their hearts and their minds. I pray, O oh Lord God, that we would be a people who overflow with the fruits of the Spirit because we have set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Do this work, for we ask it in Jesus, who is our Lord. Amen.